So today, as they make their way out today, I wanted to give you guys a little bit of a heads up. This is what we're talking about, and this is where we're going. We're talking about two big ideas. They're connected, but they are huge ideas. They are central to the gospel. It is this. Number one, God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son so that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And Christ puts out an invitation for all people to follow him. That's number one. Number two, Christ gives out particular and specific invitations to some people to leave the life that they know and go out into the world and live entirely differently than what they've known so far so that the rest of the world can know the truth that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son so that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That's what I'm talking about today. That's what I want to look at with you. That's what the Bible tells us in Mark chapter 10. So if you have a Bible, open up to Mark chapter 10. You can look at verse 17. We're going to get started there and dive right in. It's also on the screen behind me. This is one of those more famous passages of Scripture. And here's what I'm going to invite you to do, because many of you have heard this sermon before. Well, I'm sorry. Let me back up. You've not heard this sermon before. You've heard this Scripture preached before. I'm going to invite you to try as best you can to hear this as if it's the first time you've heard it. For many of you, it's not, but see if you can try. Here, here's, here's where we go. Verse 17, as Jesus started on his way, because we remember now, this is near the end of his ministry, he's been teaching for a long time. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do? to inherit eternal life. Here's a fellow who knows how to act in the presence of Jesus. He comes, he hits his knees, he respects Jesus by calling him a good teacher. And he recognizes that eternal life is an inheritance, right? What must I do to inherit eternal life? This man understands that eternal life is something that is given. Verse 18, Jesus says, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, you shall not defraud, honor your father and mother. Jesus reminds this man who came to him, fell on his knees, said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, "What well, you remember the good things that people are called to do. We are not saved by our good works, but if we are saved, good works come out of us. Jesus says, these are some ways that you can get started. Teacher, he said, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Now, Jesus didn't launch out and call him a liar. Jesus didn't launch out with Isaiah 53, 6. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Jesus didn't come out and call this man a sinner. Jesus took him at his word. This guy is a good guy, okay? He knows the scripture. He's been doing a lot to live by the scripture. He's been trying to live for God, and yet he comes to Jesus understanding or at least having this curiosity that says, something yet is missing. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, follow these commandments, and Jesus just pulls them right out of the Old Testament. Now, Jesus said that he should not defraud. The word defraud is not used when Moses delivered. These, Moses said that you should not lie. Nonetheless, Jesus speaks to this man, says, these are some good things that you can do. The man says, I know that. And all these I have kept since I was a boy. He's a good guy. And it says in verse 21, Jesus looked at him 
and love him. I had missed those last two words in most of my readings of this scripture before this week. Jesus looked at him and loved him. Here is Jesus looking at this man who came and, and fell before him on his knees. What am I say to do in her in eternal life? Jesus says, here are some good things you can do. You know these things. The man says, I know these things. I've been doing these things. Jesus looked at him and loved him. Here is what Jesus says. One thing you lack. Go sell everything you have and give it to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. This man asked Jesus about eternal life, and Jesus offered him treasure in heaven. And notice the invitation here, okay? This man could have done this right away. Jesus isn't asking him to do something that's impossible. Jesus says simply go sell your things and give it to the poor, and then come and follow me. This is not much different than when Jesus called Simon and Andrew and James and John and Levi, some of those disciples who have been with him now for a couple of years. Jesus went to them and said, come and follow me. Leave your nets, leave your boats, leave your fishing, come and follow me. This guy, it seems, could have been a disciple. Everyone Jesus has invited so far has followed him, right? As we've been studying through Mark, Jesus comes, these people come follow me, and they, they drop what they've got, and they come and follow him. You see the invitation here, it's the same thing. Jesus says, Jesus looked at him and loved him, and says, one thing you lack just sell your stuff and give it to the poor and then come and follow me. Verse 22. At this the man's face fell and he went away sad. This man has done so much. He has controlled his instincts. He hasn't, hasn't killed anyone or committed adultery yet, at least according to his own word. He says, I've been keeping these commandments. He hasn't stolen anything. He hasn't lied he has honored his father and mother. He's honored others by not defrauding them. Jesus asks him to do one simple thing. And it's a thing he's asked others to do before. He says, just sell your stuff and then come and follow me. One simple thing was asked. But what does the scripture say? He went away sad. Why? He, he wouldn't he wouldn't do this. This one thing doesn't seem to be able or capable or willing to do this. Why did he go away sad? Well, it would probably help if we read the rest of the sentence, wouldn't it? Why did he go away sad? Now, if you haven't read this scripture before or are not familiar with the story, maybe you didn't know this, but it says he had great wealth. In other accounts of Scripture, in some of the other Gospels, this story is told too, and some more detail is given. One calls him a ruler, one calls him a rich man. Here, in this account in Mark, we simply see that this man came and threw himself before Jesus and says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, follow the commandments. The man says, I've done that my entire life. Jesus says, okay, brother, I love you. Just sell what you've got, give it to the poor, and come and follow me. The man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus touched on the one thing that was holding on to this man's life. This man must have known that something was missing, right? This is why he came to Jesus. What must I do to inherit eternal life? He's not assuming that all the things he's already done have gotten it for him. He sees that something's missing. Any of you relate? Any of you good folks in this room able to relate to that? 
You've been working hard. You've been trying to follow the rules. You've been trying to do what grandma taught you to do and what mom taught you to do or dad taught you to do or what's written in the Bible. And any of you following the rules really well, living your life really well, denying yourself, and yet still feel like something's missing, maybe for you it's not a wealth thing. But I would invite you this week to come before Jesus in your prayers, maybe on your knees, and say, Lord, is there anything I'm missing? Because the truth is, everyone is invited to eternal life, but only those who receive our Savior, Jesus Christ, receive eternal life. This man struggled because something else had a hold of his heart, his wealth, his riches, was getting between him and Jesus Christ. He was called out here by Jesus Christ to a great mission for God's kingdom. Jesus says, come and follow me. This man turned it down to tend to his own little kingdom. Sometimes that happens for us, doesn't it? We're invited up into God's larger story. God gives us a call, puts something on our life, says something to us, gives us a direction, gives us some kind of an inkling, some kind of an instinct that we could go and do this powerful thing. That's God's big story. God is at work. We read about it in Scripture. We see it in some of the really amazing people around us every day. But how many of us, instead of stepping into that invitation, just kind of step back into the small story that we can control, that we understand, that we can see right in front of us? That's a temptation for many of us, isn't it? Here in this Scripture, we see Jesus saying, come and follow me. And the man walked away sad. I know a man who lives in a place that I call the mountains. Northern Pennsylvania, a couple hours from here, people who live in real mountains don't call these mountains. I call it the mountains. People up there don't like it called the mountains. But here we are. This is our home. We'll call it what we want. I know a man who lives in the mountains. He, uh, he owns a beautiful property, and he works really hard to share it with others. Lots of maintenance, lots of acreage, lots of work, and frankly, lots of ministry happening there. He was telling me a story about an opportunity that he had to buy a large tract of land that was right up against his property. And it was going to be a bit of a stretch financially, so he had to think about this and pray about this, and he was, he was thinking about, well, what can I move around? How can I make this happen? What does this look like? And this was a couple of years ago, and, and he was just telling me about this, this story, and so he, he thought he had this opportunity to buy this from a neighbor, and he was excited about it because it was just such a neat place, and he thought it would really go together well, and, and here's one of the things that he said to me. He said, um, he said, I missed out on the opportunity because some of the details of the financing I couldn't get together and then it got sold kind of out from underneath me. And he was just kind of disappointed. You know, looking back years later, he's, he's a blessed man and he's doing good things, but he was a little disappointed. And he said, he said, you know what I realized after that? He said, the gas rights on that property hadn't been sold yet. He said, since they were sold, he, he talked about how much money that property is bringing in. Again, a couple of years ago, he's telling me this. How much money that property, it was, it was hundreds of thousands of dollars a year of passive income that that, that that property could have brought in for him and was bringing in for someone else. And here's, here's why the story stuck with me. He, he talked about how much money that property brought in every year. And he said, do you know how many missionaries that could have supported? Number one, I said, bless you, brother. That's a great answer. But I have to be honest with you, church. There's a part of me that wonders if God didn't just save him from a huge distraction as well. 
Because how many of us, when we are faced with opportunities, especially financial and real estate kind of opportunities, economic kind of stuff, stuff kind of stuff, how many of us go into it with a heart and an intention to say, oh, this could be so used for God? And then once we get into it, we say, oh, this is just using me up. Any of you buy a, a boat or a camper, or maybe you're really blessed and you bought a vacation property, and you were thinking about all the amazing things that you could do, the people that you could take along, and, and you know this person who's maybe not as well off as you, but you could bless them with this, and, and I, know, I know there's some missionaries that might be in town and they could use this. How many of you have realized how difficult it is to turn those things into that kind of a ministry? Sometimes we do get excited about the things that are around us, and the reality is, is that most of the excitement ends up being just for ourselves. In verse 23, right after this whole account with this rich man who was not able at that point to sell all that he had and follow Jesus. Now, now understand, we don't know that man's name. We don't know what happened later. It says that he went away sad because he had great wealth. Perhaps he came to his senses that evening or the next day or the next year and, and in fact did what Jesus did. We don't know. We don't know. We just know this one little slice of his life. But after this thing happened, Jesus looked at his disciples, verse 23, and he said to them, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. And for those of you who have been following along in Mark the last couple of weeks and couple of months, you know that Jesus is now in teaching mode. In Mark chapter 9 and now in chapter 10, Jesus is teaching his disciples the things that they need to know to be able to survive in the world and do ministry in the world without him because he's been telling them, hey, I'm not going to be here forever, guys. Jesus says to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said again, because sometimes we need to hear it twice, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. There's no tricky word play here. I know some of you have heard stories about there's this gate in Jerusalem called the eye of the needle. I don't believe that's true. That's a, a, I was going to say a wives' tale. It's not a wives' tale because I don't believe it was made up by a wife. It's an old scholar's tale. It was someone who was trying to make it say, well, it's, it's possible. It's not that hard. It's just tricky. No, Jesus is saying it's easier for a big, huge animal to go through a little tiny eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter heaven. The disciples, verse 26, were more amazed, perhaps even more amazed than you are right now. The disciples were even more amazed. They said to each other, who then can be saved? We touched on this last week. Do you remember the lesson that we talked about last week in Mark chapter 10? It said that people were bringing little children to Jesus. And Jesus said to his disciples, let the little children come to me. Don't hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Jesus says, truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. That's Mark 10, 15. See, the disciples continue to think of things from an earthly perspective. They continue to think of things like people do. They continue to think that children are a nuisance. Jesus says they're not a nuisance. These little children who believe in me, they are the kingdom of God. They are receiving the kingdom of God. Do not turn them away. And now Jesus is saying to these disciples that it is really hard. In fact, it's impossible on their own for rich people to go to heaven. And the disciples don't understand it because they are living under the assumption that people are rich because they're blessed. 
They're working under the assumption that well, they wouldn't have all those riches if God hadn't blessed them with those riches. So these people must have a leg up on regular folks. How many of you have lived long enough to see that wealth does not necessarily indicate blessing? Sometimes wealth is just money. These disciples were amazed. They said to each other, who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man, it's impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Let's make sure we unpack this and understand it correctly. Jesus said, with man, this is impossible. What is? Being saved, right? Particularly here, he's talking about rich people. With man, salvation is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. In other words, there is no salvation apart from God, even if you're really rich. There's no salvation apart from God, even if you've got power and influence, even if you've been following all the right rules since you were a little boy, even if you know how to come to Jesus, you know the right title to give him, and you know to get on your knees in his presence. There is no salvation just based on the things that we do, but with God, all things are possible. It may seem impossible for a rich man to be saved, but with God, all things are possible. It may seem impossible for a poor person to be saved, but no, with God, all things are possible. It may seem impossible for a city kid to be saved. No, with God, all things are possible. It may seem impossible for a country kid to be saved. It might seem impossible for some white tower academic to be saved or for some uneducated simpleton to be saved. No, what does Jesus say? With God, all things are possible. All things, all, 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 all things are possible with God. Jesus is giving these disciples a lesson that says, this rich man had his heart in the wrong place. It is very difficult for a rich man to come to the Lord. In fact, it's impossible on his own because this man is so wrapped up in his stuff. But Jesus says, with God, all things are possible. Who knows, but that God might have spoken to this man's heart later on, convicted him and changed his mind because that's happened to you and me. We know a part of the story here, but we know for sure what Jesus is talking about. He says, with man, salvation is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. And then Peter spoke up, verse 28. God blessed Peter. Peter spoke up and said, Jesus, we've left everything to follow you. We're not, he's basically, we're not rich guys just sitting at home in our castle. We're not that, are we? And now Jesus gets into some really fun stuff. If you've ever sacrificed anything for the Lord, take comfort in these verses. Verse 29 of Mark chapter 10. Truly I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me in the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, along with persecutions, and the age to come, eternal life. Now this is a tricky couple of verses. We can get ourselves really twisted around if we don't understand this correctly. What is Jesus talking about here? Is Jesus really talking about a 10,000% return on our investment in this life? If I leave a house, I'm going to get 100 houses back. Because isn't it what Jesus said? No one who, who leaves these things for me will fail to receive 100 times as much in this present age. See, this isn't all just about heaven someday. There's talk of this present age. But there will be persecutions, and in the age to come, there will be eternal life. But this present age, that can be sticky. I think what Jesus is trying to do here in verse 29 and 30, 
And you can test this for yourselves, but I think what he's trying to do is to wrap up a list of essentials, especially when we understand that he's speaking to a bunch of young Jewish men 2,000 years ago who would have perhaps been more tuned in to what was essential than what we are living, let's be honest, in a world of relative comfort and luxury. What does Jesus say? He says, if you leave your home, your home is not just the house that you live in, but if you leave your home, the place where you belong, it's not just your investment, it's not just what you get when you finish paying your mortgage. Jesus says, if you leave your home, if you leave the place where you belong, I'll make sure that you have that in this, etern- in this life here. He goes on and says, if you leave your brothers and sisters, right? We see that up there. If you leave your brothers and sisters, this isn't just Jesse leaving Stephanie and Anthony. No, but these are my people. This is my family. These are the people I belong to. The ones who have my back even when you all go crazy. (laughs) Jesus says, you leave your brothers and your sisters. Jesus says, I will give you people. What is it? Mother or father. See, this isn't just about Bill and Kathy. This isn't just about the parents who give me stability. But this is about my connection to my people, my roots. This is about who I am. What does Jesus say? If you're willing to leave that behind for the sake of the gospel, Jesus says, I'll give you a place to belong. I'll give you people to belong to. I will give you identity. Does that possibly make sense? That makes some sense to me. When I, when, I read, uh, when I read a number of commentators suggesting this, I thought, this, this helps me, I think, to understand. What else does Jesus say? Anyone who leaves their children for me. Is this Jesus saying that, well, it's fine if you're working for the Lord to ignore your kids. No need to take care of them or feed them anymore. Jesse, you go ahead and you just be a pastor every hour of the week and Melanie will take care of all the stuff at home. Is that what Jesus is saying here? I don't believe so. What's he saying? Well, think about it. Those of you who have children have a picture of this, and and I'm going to be, I'm going to take a big chance here, and I'm going to say those of you who would like to have children but don't yet have children probably have an even clearer picture of this. What do children mean, especially as you get old? Children are not just the kids who grow up in your house. These are the people who will take care of you when you can't take care of yourself anymore. These are the people who will sit with you around the table at holidays when all of your friends are too old to have fun with sitting around the table at the holidays, right? We laugh, but I mean, this is your security, right? Jesus says, if you, if you can leave behind what you think is security for me, Jesus says, I'll give you all the security that you need. Some of you maybe don't think about children that way. That's why Jesus says your fields. See, fields for some of you are great security too. Why? Because you can grow your food, because there's great economic potential, because there's meaningful work there. Fields represent God's promises. And especially to these young Jewish men, they would have understood land, these people living in Israel, in God's promised land. They would have understood fields in a deeper way than just, oh, I'm going to buy that field over there and plant some corn in it. Fields represent God's promises. Do you see what Jesus could be saying here? 
the place where you belong, the people to whom you belong, your very identity, your security, your promises. Jesus says, you leave all that for me, I will give you back a hundred times as much, even in this present age. I will give you belonging. I will give you people. I will give you security. I will give you promises. It seems to me that Jesus is saying that no matter what you give up to serve the Lord, God will give you a place, people, identity, and people to care for you. You will have an inheritance. It's not just if you leave this janky house, I'll give you a mansion someday. It's not if I follow God's call, I'll have everything I need in abundance. Jesus here is simply saying, I will provide for you anything that you give up for me. All things are possible with God. You get wrapped up in deeds and titles and birth certificates, just like the rich man who approached Jesus, you might be let down. You know, Jesus just might ask you to lay aside all that stuff. But what are you really giving up? If Jesus says, I'll give you belonging, I'll give you people, I'll give you the stuff you need in this life, what are you giving up if you go to follow Jesus? Here's a question that I'm still thinking about. I haven't been able to find the exception to the question I'm going to ask, but I'm going to ask it to all of you. Have you ever met a pastor or a missionary who said they should have done something else with their lives? Have you ever met a missionary who regretted it? Who said, you know, I should have just stayed home and got a job. Have you? I'm not sure I have, and I've met some. I'm blown away by Pastor Jack Roberts. Some of you know Jack Roberts at Hope Center, works with the men's ministry in the Bronx. I'm always struck by how content he is. And now some of his children are following Jack and Pat's lead in ministry. Smart kids, kids who went to good schools, kids who could get out of the Bronx if they wanted to. At least that's what it looks like to this country kid. Maybe they're saying, why would you live in Oxford? But I look and say, what a difficult life to give up opportunities to say, no, I'm going to work in a men's recovery program in the Bronx. Never sure where the next paycheck is. I admire that. And I have never heard Jack say, you know, sure would have been nice to go out and make some money so I could be more comfortable in my retirement. Have any of you heard that? I've not. Do you know any missionaries who regret their choice? There are a few of them in this room right now. Maybe that's something you can ask Justin in the lobby today. Justin, do you, know, do you wish you were staying home and just making some money? Wouldn't that be better? I'll bet he'll have some answers for you. Hey, Max, do you think you could make more money if you weren't working for growing, growing globally? Like, do you, with your connections and with your expertise and the people you know, I, I'll, I'll bet Max sits around at night a lot and says, you know, I really wish I, really wish I hadn't done all this. I, I mean, those 200,000 people who are eating now, that's cool, but I could have used another 20 grand a year. Do you guys know any, any missionaries who at the end of it looked back and said, oh, I should have stayed at home? I have a great, great aunt whose name was Mary White. Some of the rest of you in this room have a great, great aunt whose name is Mary White. I talked to my uncle the other day to get some memories because I had heard something that I could only remember the corner of. My uncle Gordon is the keeper of the stories. He remembered, he remembered Aunt Mary. Aunt Mary never married. She was trained as a nurse and she worked at a hospital for over 30 years at a place that was then called the Belgian Congo. 
It was called Zaire for a while, and now it's called the Democratic Republic of Congo. My uncle remembers that when she came home, she visited sometimes at their farm in Quarryville. She told them that when she went to the Congo, she told them that she went to the Congo to be a missionary because she had a calling. She told my uncle, and he'd have been a young boy, she told him that she lived basically in a hut. Sometimes there were snakes in the house, but she had someone who helped her with laundry and gardening, so things worked out okay. I called my uncle this week to make sure that those details were correct. He says that's what he remembers. I wanted some more details, so I looked towards the interwebs. I know, I know last week I challenged some of you to step away from your social media, to step away from your news for a week. How'd that go? Just curious. Love to talk to you later. But I went online and just searched for Mary White, and here I found an obituary from the Lancaster New Era newspaper. This was dated November 26, 1986. Okay, so this is my great, great aunt, or aunt, my great-great-aunt's obituary. Here's what it said. I just want to read this to you. This blew me away. Mary M. White, 91, a former missionary nurse in Africa, died October 30th at African Inland Mission Retirement Center in Claremont, Florida. Miss White, a Willow Street native, worked 30 years for the African Inland Mission in Aba Hospital. She treated patients and trained nurses. She returned to the United States in 1964 during rebel uprisings. That was the time when the Congolese decided they didn't want the Belgians to be in charge of Congo anymore. Now remember, this is the Lancaster New Era in 1986. Things were said differently then. But she returned to the United States in 1964. After returning, she was dean of women for a year at Northeastern College Bible Institute in Essex, New Jersey. Miss White was a graduate of the Moody Bible Institute, and Bible Institutes in France and Belgium. This is my great-great-aunt. She was my grandfather's mother's sister. Never married. Born in 1896, she trained to be a nurse, and she went to Africa as a single lady to live in a hut in the 1920s. I never met her. She died when I was nine. But I hope to speak to her in heaven one day. And I don't know if it'll matter anymore at that time, but boy, I'd love to ask her the question that I've been pondering this week. Do you ever wish you just stayed home? You could have nursed in Lancaster. It would have been so much easier. Huts and snakes. I wonder if that 91-year-old woman on her last day said, Oh, God. Why did you have to call me? That's hard for me to imagine that she said any of those things. My Uncle Gordon remembered her as a very content, joyful lady. Do you believe Jesus' promise? That whatever you give up for him will be taken care of by him in this life and the next. Jesus is very honest. He says, yes, there will be persecutions too. It's not all roses. It's not, hey, I signed up to be a missionary and now everything's easy. No, there is persecution. There is pain. There are sometimes snakes in the hut. But what does Jesus say? 
Jesus says, no, there will be eternal life. And there will be blessing and provision and there will be promises even amongst the persecutions here in this life. The disciples didn't get that right away. They saw this rich man, assumed he was on the right track. Jesus says, no, something else is in his heart. I wonder, I wonder if those disciples would look at us today, this rich crowd. And I wonder if there are any of us to whom Jesus would say, go sell all that you have and give it to the poor and just come follow me. Now, selling out and going is not the only way to follow Jesus. Just this morning in Sunday school, we heard powerful stories of people who right here at home stepped out and did amazing things in service to God's people. Not everyone is called to go to the Belgian Congo and be a nurse. Not everyone is called to pass on that potentially lucrative property next door. There are some people who have been blessed financially and with all their heart they are following the Lord and they're using all the proceeds from all of their investments to do God's work. Not everyone is called to sell out, but some are. And if you are one of those people who is called to sell out and go, let me tell you, let me tell you that I hope with all of my heart that you go and never look back. Because I can't imagine that anyone who's ever sold out and gone has looked back and said, boy, I wish I didn't do that. I want to talk to Aunt Mary. I wonder if she'd have advice for us. But I guess I don't really need to because Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, says, no, I'll take care of you. And you know what? I can trust that. Here's my concern. Here's my concern. I am concerned that some of us here, and maybe you're watching online, maybe this is you, but I'm concerned that some of us here are turning down big kingdom invitations for small kingdom concerns. I'm concerned that maybe there's one or two or five people in this room who are saying, Jesus, thanks for the invitation. I'd love to work for your kingdom, but I've got to attend to my fortune. I'm concerned that some of us are just, are just declining that invitation for ourselves. Some of us, frankly, would just rather not give up what we think of as comfort. Here's my question for you, if you're one of those someones. Are you praying to hear God's voice and putting all of your other concerns aside? I know money is a concern. I know thinking about the debt that you might take on to, to get that education or to be able to take care of the things you need to take, I, I know that's a concern, that's real stuff. I know leaving families, leaving your brothers and sisters, leaving mom and dad, even having a different kind of life with your children, maybe taking your children into a mission field, that can be scary stuff. We're used to security. But what did Jesus say? Did Jesus say, well, you know, follow me and good luck? No, he says, follow me, and I will make sure that all your needs are met. So for yourself, are you praying to hear God's voice and putting all the other concerns aside? Or are you walking away sad? 
Some of us are struggling because of the way that we think about our kids. Frankly, some of you are pressuring your children into taking over the little kingdoms that you've built. You need to stop that. If your kid is called to stay home and follow in your shoes, wonderful. May God bless you and them, and may your endeavors be blessed so that you can be a blessing to others. But there is someone in this room right now, I can just feel it. I don't have a name or a face, but there is somebody in this room right now who's putting pressure on their kid. Their kid's called to go, and you're telling them to stay. Let them go. Let them go. What's Jesus' promise? I'll take care of them. Or maybe, maybe for you it's not a financial thing, but maybe you're holding your kids back, even, even in the back of your mind. Maybe you're holding your kids back because your satisfaction is based on the fact that they're nearby and always available to sit around the table at holidays. But see, Jesus has this promise. I don't think it's just for the people who go. I think it's even for the people who stay. You release your kids to me. I'll give you people when you need people. I'll give you security when you need security. Some of us are, are, are getting things backwards as we think about our grandkids and those who we think of as coming after us. And here's my question for you. If you're at that stage of life where you're thinking about your grandchildren or your great-grandchildren or, or those nieces and nephews who you just really want to see them do well, are you using your fortunes to release them into kingdom work? Or are you using your fortunes to tie them to work that will be better done by someone else? These are questions that we need to ask ourselves. And I'm not going to suggest that all of us here need to sell all that we have and all go move somewhere else. God calls people to be missionaries right here. So many of you are living that out so well in your jobs, in your lives, in your homes. You are a light to the world right here. But it just seems to me that in a room this big, I'll bet there is someone who has not yet said yes to that invitation from Jesus. And I just want to make sure that none of us miss it. Because I want to hear more stories of people coming back and saying, leaving was the best thing I ever did. I want to hear more stories of not just young people, but I am talking to you young people. I want to hear stories of young people and old people saying, I felt called and I took a risk and I've never been more at peace. This man in the scripture in Mark 10 wasn't able to do that that day. Jesus spoke to him and invited him and said, come follow me. And the man basically said, no thanks. I hope and pray that those of you who are listening for Jesus will follow where he guides. A final word, the final word that I'm going to share with you today is this. There are some of you in this room who have not yet accepted the invitation to belong to Jesus in the first place. I've been spending a lot of time right now talking to Christians who might be called to just go do something different, but I know there are some of you in this room who are still not sure about this whole Jesus thing. You're not sure about the gospel. You're not sure that Jesus loves you. You're not sure that salvation really comes from him. Let me just tell you that I believe that Jesus is calling out to you as well. And I think if you'll take a couple moments and listen for him, I think you can hear him calling, saying, come to me, because I'll tell you what, 
Life is only found in him. And so I hope all of you in this room know that there's an invitation from God to follow him, to follow him into salvation, to follow him in the life that you're living right now, or perhaps to follow him in a whole new life that you haven't even imagined yet. There's an invitation there. Say yes to all of those invitations. God is calling some of us to do important things in his bigger story. If you're hearing that call, don't walk away sad. Go for it. Because with God, all things are possible. All, all, all things are possible. Can we pray together to the God who listens and hears us? Lord God, we're taking this moment now to pray to you. We've been singing to you. We've been studying your word. Lord, as we're speaking, Lord, we declare that we want to hear from you as well. Lord, each of us, each of us needs to hear from you, either a confirmation for where we are or perhaps instruction to be somewhere else. Lord, I am asking, and together we ask that you would speak to us. Congregation, can you say amen? Lord, we ask that you would speak to us, guide us, show us your way, and when you call us, give us courage to go there. Whether that means stepping into this offer of salvation for the first time, even though we used to think it was insanity, or whether it means stepping away from some small story or some small fortune that we've amassed for ourselves or had given to us that we feel responsible for. Lord, help us to have the courage to step toward you no matter what it is that we might be stepping away from. Jesus, I thank you for the reminder that you've given to so many servants today that you are looking after us, that you are providing for us all the things that we need, and you are going to give us strength even in times of persecution. And Lord, I thank you that we can be together to celebrate the things you've already done. May that give us courage for the things that are yet to come. Lord God, we love you. Jesus Christ, we love you. Thank you for dying on the cross for our sins and for rising from the grave, showing us that you indeed are God with power over life and death. Holy Spirit, we love you. Thank you for coming and filling us up now. Holy Spirit, please come into this place and please come into our hearts. Quicken us for whatever it is we're being called to. We know that by ourselves, not much is possible. But Lord, we acknowledge and proclaim that with you, all things are possible. All things. Thanks, God. We love you. Amen. Congregation.